0: Welcome to Slump Busters, it's time for episode 115 of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports. On today's episode, Kyle and myself talk about the turmoil in Las Vegas following John Gruden's resignation. We get you up to speed on the MLB playoffs, and we give you our previews for NFL Week 5. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable tastes and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their Nitro Cold Brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their Mammoth Blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their Hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our public Slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products com promo code SLUMP. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and get yourself a case today. All right, y'all, it's time for the episode. Juju Talk Sports, Kyle Better. Let's get it, let's bust slump, and let's enjoy. Out, there is like some trigger words that I want to just put on your radar that I just, you know, I would respect the courtesy as my co-host to not say these. Game five, Anthony <laughs> Descalfani, Boomer Sooner, Texas Longhorns, or the 49ers training staff. Just all of those, you know, if we could just kind of move on. with a brutal week. It was, a it was actually, week yeah, I, I tell you, this has probably been one of my worst sporting weekends I've had to witness. I mean, yeah, of course, the Giants are still in it and we don't know that game result quite yet. But 21 point lead, 21 point lead by the Longhorns just gone. Like I know Sark spent some time in Atlanta, but I didn't realize he picked up that kind of bad habit from them.
1: It was I mean, I won't use any of the trigger words, but I will say that's the only result other than like a 50 point blowout, which was never going to happen. It's the only result that could have gone bad for Texas. If you lose that game just normally, you get a pass. You're playing with Tom Herman's players. Some of them have left in the transfer portal. You guys were playing with house money. That's the only result that could go poorly for Texas is what happened on Saturday.
0: As a sports fan. What do you think is worse? Losing a game that you should have won, like in the final seconds, or losing a game by a blowout? Which do you prefer?
1: Oh, this is tough because I've experienced many, many more of the blowouts than ever before. I am a San Diego sports fan. We have occasional memories of heartbreak, but usually we just don't ever get the chance to get to the point of being successful. We're just always bad on the front end.
0: I mean, you cheered for Philip Rivers for years and we mentioned the Kirk Cousins curse, which kind of actually came true again this weekend here. Uh, Um, so you had to live through that. So you have to see a lot of Philip Rivers games. Um, Oh
1: yeah. Always being down eight, one minute to go, no timeouts, 80 yards away from a score every single week for my childhood. Yeah. Lots of those, the Padres since 2006 have the worst record in all of baseball. If you combine all the records of every team, they're the worst team in baseball. So (sighs) I'd say close finishes because there are some brutal ones in there. Like if you lose one right at the end, I love those Texas Rangers teams in the 2010s. So Jose Batista hurt Jets losing to Mark Sanchez in 2010 after winning 12 games in a row for the Chargers. Those are the ones I remember a lot more than the blowouts. The blowouts don't thing as hard or last as long as, as the ones that you just thought you had a chance and it didn't happen.
0: Decided we were going to talk baseball at the start of the podcast anyway, so it is official that you guys let go of Jace Tingler on your Padres there. And I know we kind of went back and forth on it after a show recording a couple weeks ago that you didn't think Tingler was going to get let go. Is Bruce Bochy the only logical option? What do you think for this team?
1: So I should go back and look at the John Heyman report to be sure. But if I'm just remembering off the top of my head, they said the managerial list included Bruce Bochy, Brad Ausmus was in there. John Farrell, the guy who used to coach the Red Sox. Um, There were a few more names in there. I don't remember exactly who they were, but I thought it was interesting the way that the Padres were going about the managerial search, because this is the last chance for Preller. I I was talking about in our conversation, like I thought it was going to end up that the Padres would move on from both of them instead. By the way, here's the report with the full list of names. So it's Bruce Bochy, Buck Showalter, Jeff Bannister, the former manager of the Rangers, John Gibbons, John Farrell, Ron Renneke, and Brad Ausmus were included in the list, which none of those names jump off the page except for Bruce Bochy. Like the rest of them had good runs. They've had managerial experience in the past. I know Padres fans are talking a lot about Ron Washington because... He has the Texas connection to A.J. Preller, but they're just names at this point. I mean, Tingler was someone no one knew who he was. And he was one of these like shadow managers that's also from front office background and I just don't know what it's gonna take at this point like Bochi at least commands respect more so than the other guys because he's Bruce Bochi. he's gonna be in the hall of fame I suppose but even Bochi was I mean you know from the Giants like he wasn't that sexy at the end for the Giants everyone was like kind of just waiting for him to retire and it didn't feel like he was like one of these legendary figures in the way that it was at you know, when they were winning the championships. So I don't know if I'm super excited about any of the options. I don't know whether this is just pessimistic because I have the sour taste in my mouth of the last two months or what the situation is, but man, I don't I don't feel great about any of those candidates for the Padres. Bochi's probably the one that at least we can talk about the most. So that's fine with me. I mean, Buck Showalter, I thought we were done hiring Buck Showalter at this point, but I would find that one to be content rich but I don't know what it's going to take to bail the Padres out. we just saw the White Sox make the playoffs with Tony La Russa, and he might be the worst manager in baseball right now. So I don't know what it's going to take to make a significant difference for the
0: Padres. You're always going after Tony La Russa, man. I tell you, you just got something against the guy, but now as far as what I think the Padres approach is with that list is they're trying to blend that old school and new school approach. And I think Bochy would make a lot of sense because he, Kind of was in that era where analytics started to take over as far as the be all end all, but he still has enough of that old school manager reputation that I think players can really rally behind. He's really that guy's guy of a manager. Uh, You look at like some of those like early 2010 Giants teams and how he was able to really get those guys to gel and believe that they're a team. I I think that that's important because, especially when you look at the Padres towards the end, it just seemed like he had a bunch of guys. And I saw a report there that specific guys just didn't want to be there. I think, uh, who was it? Eric Hosmer, they say, just wasn't even talking to any of his teammates towards the end. And Mm -hmm. We expect Eric Hosmer not to be a part of next year's team as is. But if you have a fractured locker room like that, you just need that kind of stabilizing force. And I think that that's where Bruce Bochi comes into play more than anything. If he could get those guys to really start buying into himself, and believe me, that would really hurt. That would really suck for me next baseball season to have to root against Bruce Bochi in pivotal games. I think where it really went wrong for Bruce towards the end there, obviously I hearken back to 2016, his bullpen manipulation, um, Um, In the ninth inning, game four against the Cubbies in the NLDS. Got kind of shaky there. You have a great game, eight-inning game by your starting pitcher, Matt Moore. And then you start taking out Derek Law. And I think they rotated four or five relief pitchers in a game they gave up a three-run lead that's where you know you mentioned he did start to lose a little luster towards the end but when he was clicking in those 2010 2012 2014 playoffs he was pulling all the right streams whether it's sending out madison bumgarner out there to pitch five innings or pulling in jeremy Affeld or javier lopez ramon ramirez all these guys he was just able to put them in the right spot i don't know if the three batter minimum will change things i don't know if the bh will change things Moving forward. But I think that that's the right move for you guys. I think you guys need someone that can at least make your guys buy in. I, I think your guys have to buy in a little bit more and they'll be good because you have the talent. Clearly, you have the National League MVP on your roster. You have Manny Machado, who had 25 homers and was batting about like 290, Cronenworth, yada, yada, yada. You guys have a lot of great players. You just need that guy at the top. I I know baseball manager has been a diminished position over the years, but you look at some of the managers that are around right now, still in the playoffs. And I think it shows that you still need a guy that you can trust. And I think that's a perfect transition to get into it because let's get into who is still alive, who is in the baseball playoffs. We don't know the result on the NL quite yet. So we'll hold off on that. That's for a separate video. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves on advancing at this moment.
1: I would like to say on that note for the Atlanta Braves, do you remember in 2016 in the World Series when Aroldis Chapman gave up that home run to Rajai Davis? And we thought that was going to kind of be like the pinnacle moment of Aroldis Chapman was seeing him just turn around and like amazed that he had just given up that homer. And then we flash forward to 2019 and he gives up the home run to Altuve and we see him smiling as he's walking off the field. And then we flash forward to 2020 and. In a game five, Mike Brasso hits a go-ahead homer in the eighth inning. And we see Chapman smiling again. And we have these moments with like these unhittable relievers, more specifically Chapman, but just these unhittable guys end up having these weird moments of falling apart in the playoffs. And I would like to officially decree that Josh Hader became the best <laughs> reliever in baseball when he gave up that home run to Freddie Freeman. And we were all just stunned, just stunned that Josh Hader in that situation gave up a home run to end their season. I would like to officially welcome Josh Hader to the best reliever in baseball club because everyone was baffled when Freddie Freeman hit that home run off the unhittable closer.
0: You're not really officially a closer until you close your team's season on a negative note, I guess. Yeah, Freddie Freeman, left-handed power hitter, managed to take off one of the best left-handed fireball throwers in the game. I was telling you some ridiculous Josh Hader stats just last week that he had like a 0.97 batting average against, that he had 15.9 strikeouts per nine in innings and that didn't matter Freddie Freeman when he put one in the bleachers you know I think the key and this goes into like our pick 'em picks I should just not trust my first instinct because I told you I was leaning Brewers ended up going Braves I was leading Chiefs ended up going Bills I got to remember that when we start getting into these pick picks here because yes. that seemed to be the winning strategy last week yeah so I got the Braves on that one we were both wrong on the Rays though I should note that because the Red Sox just Outslugged them a series. I don't think the Red Sox had a signature pitching win, but you look at the Bats, they just came out to play and they tore apart. It didn't matter their starters, it didn't matter their relievers. They were all over race pitching. And it's only right that they close it out again in Fenway. It's honestly great. I know we talk about we like to see some new blood in here, but I kind of like seeing Fenway during the playoffs. I'm not going to lie. So the fact that we have an ALCS, it's going to be back in Fenway. I I think it's kind of cool. And let's talk about their opponents, too. They get the Houston Astros, who put away with the Chicago White Sox. Now, I found funny about that series. Obviously, you have a White Sox reliever who was accusing the Astros of (laughs) sign stealing yet again. But as it turns out, doesn't matter the year, doesn't matter, still stealing, whatever's going on here, the Astros are just good. You just have to give it to the Astros. They're just good. They have Hall of Fame, All-Star, All-Pro talent. Carlos Correa, I like that he had a little bit of a clap back too at that guy. I think that's just sour grapes, honestly. When you're the White Sox, you're the relievers, you're just getting pounded by their bats. you just kind of want to make some noise and cause some issues. And I, I got to give it to the Astros in that particular instance to overcome that and just put a team away way. So we have a good series on hand. This is going to be a very good series. You definitely know offensively, we're going to see a lot of back and forth. I'm just curious to see what the dynamics are of whose pitchers will have that signature postseason moment. Kyle, what's your pick heading into this one?
1: Uh, So I had said coming into the playoffs that I felt that the Houston Astros were the best team in the American League by a significant amount. And I did not think that they would be playing the Red Sox I thought it would be either Tampa or New York going into the playoff series because Boston kind of faded a little bit towards the back end of the season then I figured out Boston might actually have the deepest lineup in all of baseball at this point I mentioned the stat going into the Rays Red Sox series those teams had zero players hitting below league average OPS this year and the Boston Red Sox were awesome against the Rays like you said they didn't have a signature pitching performance and in two of those games they had to have like three, four, five run comebacks to win game two and game four against Tampa. It was a super interesting series because Boston's this lovable team. Again, it hasn't happened very much in 20 years. It was after the Boston marathon season, then Boston becomes the team everyone's rooting for. And other than that, they're just the team that dominates everyone or they don't make the playoffs. That's kind of just Boston's MO. Rafael Devers hit a home run in game four where I thought I was looking at my phone and I looked up and I thought something had broken in my room because I had never heard a baseball sound the way it did when Rafael Devers went 440 to dead center field with that home run he's unbelievably good he's having a playoffs to remember JD Martinez kind of healthy he's there I do want to just give the Astros love I think the Astros are going to win Five, six games, maybe the Red Sox extend it to seven. I'm not saying like the Red Sox can't win this series. I just think Houston is better in their batting lineup. They're top heavier than Boston. They have two really good starters in McCullers and Framber Valdez. I don't know who's going to start a game three for the Astros at this point, but those two are definitely secure in their pitching rotation. I'm still rolling with Houston because nothing I saw from the first week of the playoffs suggests that one, I was incorrect about the Houston Astros being the best team in the American League, but two, also anyone being able to catch them just because Boston feels like a fun story that's going to fade out. I forgot we were doing our preview of the White Sox Astros series and I forgot to mention Michael Brantley. And Yuli Gurriel and talking about how great that Astros lineup is, because those are the MLB's two leaders in batting average this year. And I didn't even mention them when talking about how stacked the Houston Astros lineup is with Jordan Alvarez and Altuve and Bregman and Correa, who those guys being the core of the 2017 World Series team have kind of embraced being the heels now. I didn't even mention Kyle Tucker this time. So there's just so many good bats. We did mention Kyle Tucker last
0: one and he did have a big hit at least. So we, we covered the bases there as Kyle Tucker literally covered the bases on the field. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I forgot about mentioning him in this time around. So it's what eight batters D plus Martin Maldonado. That team is just so good. The Dodgers and Giants are giving me pause for me to say, I think the Astros might win the World Series this year. I don't ever make World Series picks because the World Series is always so random. But I said the Astros were the best team coming in. I feel good about that. I'll take the Astros to win the series. But it's not like I'm saying, like I said before, there's no chance the White Sox can beat the Astros. There's a chance Boston can beat houston i just think houston is better on paper by about a game or two than the boston red sox so i'll say astros in six But give or take a game, could be five, could be seven. I'll just split the difference and say six game series. I do have one fun stat, though, that the Astros in the post-World War II era are now the third team to make it to five consecutive league championship games, joining the 90s Braves and the 90s New York Yankees into the 2000s. It was like 1990. six to like two thousand with one, I think with the Yankees but great run the Astros have been on here of the last half decade
0: I think the Astros are the most successful example of tanking in all of sports when you look at how they bottomed out and they had that what was it that ESPN Sports Illustrated cover that's introducing your 2017 World Series champions that ended up being a true proclamation uh, the article not, that
1: came out in yes. 2015. Yeah. For people who don't know, to introduce that team in 2015, they said they'd win the 2017 World Series, and it lo and behold,
0: it happened. Uh, sure, you could of course throw in a cheating scandal in there, of course, but no. Yeah. I mean, this team just—you look like you mentioned names. We didn't even mention they're that good. That there's so many names that we can't even mention them all. I'm going to lean Astros in six as well, mostly because I think the Red Sox are a good enough team that their bats will just show up one game and the Astros won't be able to keep up. I think they're going to win a game in Fenway, for example. Between those two factors, I got to see the series go in six games. I'm not going to completely rule out the Red Sox, but the Astros, everything they got going on and the five straight ALCS appearances I think is a great example of just a well put together team the only thing that I think could possibly hold them back and I hate speaking this into existence would be Dusty Baker's run of postseason success <laughs> you know it is one of those oh. things that has always followed around Dusty like a dark cloud over his career I hope he breaks that I hope he finally gets his ring. If my Giants don't get there, I should say. I hope he finally gets his ring if the Giants don't get there. That's a big caveat there that I have to throw in. My dream for this postseason, all barring on game five here, hopefully this podcast is out beforehand, Astros-Giants-World Series, just to really stick it to Dodgers fans there. Just oh realistic in realistic Dodgers fans. Just absolute pettiness. Who do you root for if you're a Dodgers fan there?
1: But could you imagine if the Astros played the Dodgers in the World Series, how chaotic <laughs> that would end up being if we got that I think that baseball series?
0: wants that. I think if you're Rob Manfred, you almost want that one because that's going to be one of the most watched World Series in recent years.
1: I mean, we need villains. Sometimes you just need a villain in sports and the Astros are playing into that. We've talked about this whole series. We didn't even mention they might have the three best relievers in baseball. It left in the playoffs right now. And you talk about Yimi Garcia, who got roughed up a bit by the White Sox, but still really good reliever, Kendall Graveman and Ryan Presley for the that Dodgers
0: pen, though. I mean, is I'm learning that as a Giants fan, as I like see these names come out when you throw out Bruce Dargatero, Kenley Jansen Triman. Kenabele is currently there. Yeah, Corey knabel who was a closer for the Brewers just a couple of years ago. All these guys that come out of their pen, I'm like, God damn, how do you get hits off these guys? So I, I think the Dodgers might have an advantage there as far as the pen. Right but there's
1: that. a chance that the Dodgers might be eliminated by the time people are
0: listening to this. <laughs> there is, and of course, that's what I'm rooting for. But <laughs> we'll see. I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to ruin things. You know, I'm the kind of superstitious sports fan here. Logan Webb, you know, going against Julio Urias. It's going to be a good one.
1: <laughs> yep, I won't mention anything about it. I won't mention the fact that they're, no, nope. I won't nope. do it.
0: Mum's the word on this one here. Okay, okay. Well, you know, Astros and six, Astros and six. That is our preview. That is what we are locking into the Hall of Records here on the Slump Buster podcast. Let's get into some NFL talk as we progress. Let's start off early morning. Let's get into the early morning game, the early, early morning game, because we have another London game. We're going across the pond once again in our predictions to decide who is truly the worst Florida team. Now, one thing to note, we have a coach on the hot seat. We have a team in turmoil. And I'm not talking about the Jaguars. Yes, I am talking about the Dolphins who are coming off four. Straight losses, and if you actually go to Dolphins Twitter right now, because that is a place I felt the need to explore in my research, they are calling for Brian Flores's head out there. Now, I, obviously, I think they set the expectations really high coming off a 10-win year, and you're expecting Tua to develop, not be out with a rib injury. Fun fact, Tua is going to be out there this week. So he's back from in- his injury, joining the team in London. The Jaguars actually already went to London. They're there early. They're getting their body clock adjusted. And I don't know if that's going to be a huge advantage for them. Obviously, the Jaguars are the most well-traveled team to this facility than any other team in the National Football League. Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, these guys haven't had to make the travel necessarily. I don't know how this happens scheduling-wise, but you realize the Dolphins actually play next week? Usually, teams that get play in London get a bye, but no, the Dolphins get to come back next week and face the Falcons coming off of a London bye. So, that can't be good for them. But as far as just this game in general, I think Tua coming back, you know, it might be more of a detriment to this team. And I, I mean this because the offensive line, they had to reshuffle it literally last week. They moved Austin Jackson to guard, they shifted around their tackles. And now you have to almost shift around your tackles again. Now that you have the lefty thrower, the Jags are the worst team in terms of turnover differential in the NFL with a negative 10. They're both bad teams. No one could really stop other teams running game. The Dolphins are amongst the lowest in the NFL at opposition's running attacks, which kind of gives me the slightest inclination to say the Jags will upset the Miami Dolphins in London.
1: You're picking the end of the longest losing streak in 45 years in the NFL. Think I think James Robinson
0: one? could have a day on this team.
1: That would Can be I, good I, for me because he's my <laughs> he's my fantasy RB2 at this point. So I would be all in on that one. But let's go back to the Brian Flores thing real quick. Because last year, remember when Ryan Fitzpatrick completed the face mask, Hail Mary, the second to last week of the season against the Raiders. The thing I said was just put that Raiders team and that Dolphins team side by side and tell me what the difference between those two teams were. They Basically the exact same team. And the Dolphins won 10 games and the Raiders won seven games last year. And that was just a byproduct of the Dolphins generated a ton of turnovers on defense and they were really lucky in one possession games, which both of those things don't usually replicate year over year. Add to the fact that now your quarterback has been hurt for four weeks so far this year. It just creates a situation where you were basically a seven and nine team masked as a 10 and six team last year that now is playing with their backup quarterback. I just don't know what firing Brian Flores is going to accomplish. If you're a Dolphins fan, is it just the rule of the NFL that if you don't make the playoffs in the first three years, it's better to just fire the coach and try over again, because if that's going to be your case, then sure. I just don't know what that's going to accomplish. If you're Miami, the joke about the Dolphins for 20 years has been that they always draft offensive linemen and they can never block anyone. And you mentioned Jesse Davis and Liam Eikenberg and trying to switch different positions around and find people that can play different places, but none of them can block anyway. With all of that being said, I'm still picking the Miami Dolphins this week to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars for the simple reason of the Dolphins just have more talent across the board than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Does that mean that they're going to win? No, it's football. Weird stuff happens all the time. The Bears whooped up on the Raiders last week in weird fashion because that's just how football works. Like sometimes the teams with the most talent don't always win, but I feel safer picking the Miami Dolphins to win this week. They haven't generated a ton of turnovers this year, but I do like uh, their linebacking group with what I believe is now McKinney and he traded for Shaq Lawson and Jalen Phillips off the edge. The secondary Jerome Baker's out there. Jerome Baker's a great one in there. I like that group going up against the Jaguars, even if Jacksonville is going to try and run the ball a lot, which is not great news for them. But I think that they can hold the Jaguars to under 20 points. They'll win the game because I think regardless of how healthy Tua is, regardless of whether or not Devontae Parker is going to play or not, I think they can get to 20 points against the subpar jaguars defense and so i think that's going to come down to just how many points is their defense going to allow and maybe this is the week that trevor lawrence breaks out or maybe they get the dumb 250 250 thing that urban meyer is trying to accomplish every single week until he is inevitably fired sometime down the road but who knows maybe the jaguars do end up winning this week maybe james robinson has three touchdowns but uh in the meantime i'm gonna roll with the uh, miami dolphins
0: here in london I think what the general sentiment about coming after Brian Flores was by Dolphins fans is you're a defensive head coach, but the defense isn't good. And we have this young quarterback who hasn't gotten better. Are you the best coach to develop this quarterback? And they just fired the offensive coordinator last year, brought a new offensive coordinator this year. So are you going to get another offensive coordinator while having the same head coach? So I think that's kind of the general consensus by people having a little bit of a disdain behind Brian Flores as they try and move forward, knowing that they drafted Tua instead of Justin Herbert. (laughs) So this is the other fun thing you just
1: brought up. We technically don't know who the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins is at this point, because they have two offensive coordinators and we have no idea who's calling the plays for the Miami Dolphins. I don't know if Brian Flores knows who's calling the plays on offense for the Miami Dolphins. It's one of those two guys. We don't know who the actual play caller is, but I can conclude that no matter who's calling the plays and calling screen passes at the one yard line for Jalen Waddle and what is one of the dumbest play calls that you've seen on offense, it is still better than Chan Gailey being your offensive coordinator because Chan Gailey should never have been hired in the first place as an offensive coordinator in 2020 in the NFL.
0: I kind of think- Think too a little bit of it also is resentment for the fact that they could have went to the playoffs last year potentially if they kept Ryan Fitzpatrick in, but they felt the need to make the change at quarterback. So a lot of people also hold that against him, which that I think is more of an ownership thing more than anything. But yeah. I'm going with the upset pick. My upset picks didn't really go well last week, so hopefully the Jags got me. Come on, guys, you really want to go for 20 straight losses? Pick up your shit. Let's get it together, Urban. Get a game plan going. I this believe it's actually be week.
1: 21 this week they're at 20 right now this would be 21 consecutive
0: losses if they lose this week exactly what Kyle said you want to go for 21 straight losses I'm talking right into the camera you know I'm talking right to you Urban Meyer as you turn on this at I don't know 3 a.m London time whatever time it is over there (laughs) just just know I believe in you this week I got you I think it's pretty apropos that we go from talking Urban Meyer's Jags to talking about the now formerly John Gruden Raiders, because yes, we're talking Raiders, we're talking Broncos, but the story is not necessarily the one on the field. As of Monday, John Gruden has officially resigned as the Las Vegas Raiders head coach. Now, what was the story? How this all came to be? There's an obvious investigation that went into the Washington football team regarding sexual misconduct allegations a few years ago. Bruce Allen, who is one of their higher ups there, I believe was the team president at the time, was a good friend of John Gruden. Now, as good friends tend to do, they shot a lot of emails back and forth. They had a lot of conversations. And some of those conversations were very derogatory towards several uh, groups. And those emails leaked. Now, the first one that leaked was the one regarding DeMora Smith, where John Gruden felt the need to mention DeMora Smith's lip size. Fast forward, John Gruden apologizes for the incident, and then several more emails leak, one of which had some not great things to say about Roger Dell. Another had some terrible things to say about NFL female officiating. Michael Sam, that may be a name blast from the past, but that name came back into public relevance. John Gruden eventually... I think just to avoid the PR hit decided I'm going to call it a day, you know, I'm done here because he didn't officially get fired, which I think is a good detail to mention because it makes you wonder. I think obviously that's him sacrificing the rest of his contract, which is about 60 million on a remaining six more years at 10 million at pop for the Raiders. So might be a safety net for Mark Davis there. What did you think of this whole situation when it first came out, Kyle?
1: From a PR standpoint, because this is an important distinction that I wanted to bring up on the podcast, is separating this from the lazy tropes of stereotyping racist, homophobic, misogynistic comments, where even racist, homophobes, and misogynists agree what John Gruden said was racist, homophobic, and misogynistic. There's We don't really need to argue that side of it. So separating that from the PR aspect of this situation, where if it's just the Demore Smith email, John Gruden is going to survive this because he can stand up in front of the locker room and explain that one away and people will give him the benefit of the doubt. At the very least, we all wanted to believe in the goodness of John Gruden. I think his players included, as well as us just looking from the outside, that this was not something with racist intent. This was just something that... Had to do with, I think Gruden's explanation was that he calls everyone who lies rubber lip. So we wanted to believe that in the goodness of John Gruden. And I think from a PR standpoint, they could have accepted that and walked away. When you have seven years of emails knocking out five, six, seven different minority groups. That's when this is who you are or who you were in the not that distant past. And so that one, there was no way John Gruden was going to be able to get through that. I think there's going to be a lawsuit no matter what, even with the resignation. I think probably Gruden's agent was probably working with the ownership and the Raiders front office to figure out what sort of compensation package it would be in exchange for Gruden resigning. We already know that the Raiders are facing potential bankruptcy because they have a lot of financial issues dating back to their time in Oakland. And then the funding of the Las Vegas stadium and the move and all that stuff is putting the Raiders in financial strain. So that's already a problem there. So I think there was no way Gruden was ever going to be able to walk back into that locker room. Just from a PR standpoint of the Raiders organization did not have this information in the past. Now they have this information and they have to evaluate it under that. Circumstance, So, and they would have decided to move on from John Gruden, even if John Gruden doesn't resign. I don't know if Gruden recognized that it was over and he both were on the same page or the Raiders had to inform him that it was over. I don't know what the conversations were there. I was listening to Sally Jenkins of the Washington Post today, and she was talking about who could have leaked the information to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And there's a few interesting cases here could be someone within the Washington organization who potentially wanted revenge towards bruce allen who as you mentioned was their team president i believe for 12 years he was the president of the washington football team it could be someone within the nfl players association who are now calling for the release of all of The emails pertaining to the Washington football team story could be someone within the investigative team who's frustrated by the progress of the investigation because it is technically an NFL investigation. So take all of it with a grain of salt. The NFL ultimately protects their own interests and Roger Goodell works for Dan Snyder. It's one of his 32 bosses, even though apparently like for the last 16 months, Dan Snyder hasn't been running. The Washington football team, they've kind of just turned the franchise on autopilot and kind of told Dan Snyder that you can't be involved in the day to day operations while they're investigating but still Dan Snyder is for now technically one of Roger Goodell's bosses. So maybe there's someone within the investigation that leaked it or the weird conspiratorial one, which is the NFL leaked it because there is a lot of bad information that is going to come out. And so if they distract us with this little bit of news about John Gruden or news about Adam Schefter having journalistic credibility issues, and that's the stuff we can eat up and John Gruden takes the fall, maybe we can protect Dan Snyder a little bit more. And maybe just maybe Dan Snyder gets to keep His team instead of being forced to sell like what happened with Jerry Richardson and the Carolina Panthers with all the me too stuff that surrounded that so all of that to say this was something that was a logical conclusion it's unlike anything I've seen in the last 10 years of being able to kind of understand this stuff. It's a really interesting situation that we will now pivot into talking about the Raiders as a football team outside of, because that's the nature of football, right? Is that the Raiders are going to have to move on as a franchise and as a team. And just like the last 20 years of Raiders history, it feels like the Raiders just get, you know, kicked in the behind whenever something good happens. All of a sudden, everything you thought was good and well about the first real identity the Raiders had of the last, really since Al Davis died. You have an identity of the Raiders outside of the sun that has the terrible bowl haircut. It's not what you thought it was. And now you're looking around and thinking, where are you at this point? Because the Raiders are still a pretty good football team. It's just that now they have to act as most teams do when your coach gets fired, which is like, are we punting on this season? Can we rally around this? Do we want to rally around each other? It's it's a weird situation that's going to be weird to talk about, given everything that's going on with the organization.
0: It's definitely been a turbulent week for the Raiders. When you think about game blown out on Monday night football, then you have the loss against the bears. You have the first email league, and then obviously you end in John Gruden's resignation. I think the resignation gets a lot weirder when you talk about the fact that he had the most secured coaching deal that we've ever seen. Also in our lifetimes, that 10 year deal is just not something you see an NFL coach ever get. And it was obviously because of the close relationship between Mark Davis and John Gruden. I've heard conspiracy theories saying, yes, this was the NFL leaking this because they not only want to get Gruden, but eventually they want to tie this back to Mark Davis because they want him out of there. Now, that is a theory because obviously Mark Davis, you mentioned the financial troubles of the Raiders. Would they like to get someone like a Jeff Bezos in there or someone with more high esteem that has outside interests outside of football? To elevate this new Las Vegas venture. Now that's neither here nor there. That's all hearsay at the moment. You talked about wanting to give John Green the benefit of the doubt. And I did. I, I really did coming off of the uh first initial set of comments, whether it be the rubber lift thing and now, I should say this beforehand. I obviously disavow anything that John Gruden said, the totality of it, everything in a vacuum. But we'll go through each kind of like statement one by one and where I kind of was on initially looking at this story here. When it came to the Demore Smith stuff, my question on that one was when people were, well, John Gruden is just straight up a racist here. Is he saying this about Demoris Smith, the black man, or is he saying this about Demoris Smith? Is he targeting him? Yes, obviously talking about someone's lip size when they are a black man is a racial trope, and that is something that we should steer away from behavior-wise. But mocking someone's physical appearance, while again, not acceptable, doesn't necessarily mean that he has any kind of pure racial prejudice, maybe just a prejudice against Demoris Smith. Okay. The Roger Goodell one. So calling Roger Goodell a pussy. Now, as far as that word, it's just one of those seven dirty words you don't say on television. I'm sure Roger Goodell has seen tweets, has seen emails, has seen calls, has seen fans, coaches, players, all say that and worse stuff about Roger Goodell. I'm sure Tom Brady called Roger Goodell a pussy several times after the Deflategate scandal. But when we start getting into the other thing he was calling Roger Goodell, and that's one I won't say on this podcast. <laughs> it's yeah, just no one for, that-
1: for people who don't know the story, it's the F word that's a slur for someone who is gay. That's the word that was used just for context. Because Chris Mortensen did a story where he put explicit in there and we didn't know exactly what it was. But just for context, that's what
0: word he used. For context, yes. Obviously, it's one that I want to use. It's not one that I've ever felt comfortable saying in any context. But if you go into an Xbox Gamers Lounge, it's definitely one that gets thrown around freely. I think I once heard Bill Burr in a comedy skit say, if you walk down a street in Boston, it called it three times before you reach the end of the block. Now, 10 years ago, was it slightly more of an acceptable vernacular? Again, not saying it's right. Not saying it's a great word to use, but was it used a little bit more freely back in the day? It was. Now, here's where I think is where it really starts getting into Fireball. Um, when you start talking about the female referees, because the NFL is not going backwards. They're not going back to a time where there's no female referees. So if you have any kind of negative connotations towards that type of hiring, the NFL is not going to stand by you. The NFL would like to
1: get to a place where they're hiring not just female coaches, but like multiple female head coaches in the league. That's the direction that Goodell and other people at the top have actually like made public that that's somewhere that they'd like to move exactly.
0: Exactly. So the NFL is not going backwards in that regard. So you coming after that group is one that Roger Goodell and the NFL is not going to stand for. You could call Roger Goodell a pussy all day, but if you start questioning his uh, move to get the more diversity in the NFL, that's where he's going to give a little bit of pushback. Another one talking about Michael Sam, talking about Jeff Fisher a little less explicit, but still not great saying that he felt the NFL and Roger Goodell were forcing the Rams to draft as he called it queer players. This is especially bad for the Raiders' head coach, considering the Carl Nassib, who actually took a personal day today. I saw that was a story today. You were showering him with praise in the off season. but if you're Carl Nassib, don't you have to think that's all fake now? Don't you have to like look at that and think, "Wow, this guy's literally calling out the idea of an openly gay player getting drafted." Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I kind of came out openly gay this year, which is something that I, I kept very closet identity the previous couple of years of knowing John Gruden. How do mm-hmm. I know that this last four or five months since I made my announcement wasn't just a phony for the cameras type of, you know, kind of show all for show kind of thing? Yeah.
1: And, and the thing that I think I've been proud of, of sorts, which is again, weird connotation given that pride means something different in this context. But the thing that made me feel good was that we have people in the media who are not making this all about like, what does Carl Nazib say as a representation of the LGBTQ community around John Gruden? I'm glad that we haven't done that so far because Carl Nazib was not openly gay until this year, yet he'd been in football locker rooms for 15 years in his life. Carl Nazib has encountered hundreds of people with similar beliefs to John Gruden. People who have probably said it out loud Many a times in a football locker room, even still today, like there are lots of people who think privately the same things that John Gruden does. One of them was coaching the Browns playoff game last year when Kevin Stefanski got COVID. Like there are people in the league that have this idea. So I'm glad that we haven't gone to that point in like treating Carl Naziv as like he is the representation for the LGBT community in this conversation because that's not fair to Carl Nazib It's lazy on our part for trying to get to like just a quote that we can throw out there as a representation for what do LGBTQ plus people think about the John Gruden situation. So yeah. to that point, maybe Carl nazib did need a personal day and that's All good. That's Carl Nazim's way of processing it. I'm glad we're just not pressing him on it and adding more pressure than needs to be around this
0: situation. All those combined factors are why, yes, John Gruden couldn't be the Las Vegas Raiders head coach anymore. But as far as how we can view John Gruden moving forward, now, is he a racist, sexist, homophobe? That is kind of like one of the things that people want to talk about with him moving forward. We had this conversation like in 2016, right? When the famous trump grab him by the pussy tape came out which is Mm -hmm. locker room talk obviously john gruden in the context of these conversations thought he was just talking to his good buddy bruce allen and i I guess this is where it comes down to like guys and the way we talk yes do guys like when we think we're just talking with buddies is it toxic is that go back into that phrase like toxic man skill it can be it it can obviously be there's always this showing off this boisterous nature that guys have to be bigger than their buddy, when my roommate put it a great way, how many times have you told one of your friends, ha, huh, I fuck your mom, have you ever fucked one of your friends, moms, vice versa, has any of your friends, fucked your mom, I hope not, that should not be a thing, <laughs> but, you know, guys always try to talk bigger than life, or try and like talk shit, and when they think they're in a private conversation, and now, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, like, Anything you put in writing, (laughs) you know, you have to wonder if that's ever going to bite you in the ass one day. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this was a this is a private email chain. Yes, it it came out and, you know, we found out the context of it and it ended up in a result that, well, no, obviously not great for John Gruden, his family, everything of that nature, his future and television. Obviously, you can't even go back to ESPN after this to host Monday Night Football. That's just not an Mm -hmm. option anymore. But you know, we found out a little bit of a nature of a person in a higher power, kind of like how they thought behind the scenes. Okay. But it it does kind of like worry me. I know this is argument to the slippery soap type things. Like, have you ever been shitty in a Facebook group chat? (laughs) You know, I'm sure I have. Uh, Me personally, yeah, me personally, probably not
1: in the same way, but I've seen people all the time who interact in that way. But I think, I just don't see that as much anymore. And that maybe it's a generational thing, or maybe it's the fact that I live in a very much more progressive state and go to a school where most people are quite progressive. That's maybe just a generational difference around that. But like, I've been in locker rooms before. I've heard people say racial slurs and racial taunts before, like, I think this is going to go away more than we would want it to maybe with John Gruden specifically. Like I think this is going to vanish and we're not going to learn the lessons around this of like, these are things that still very much exist. These are Old tropes and stereotypes that yes, as as older people who grew up around language of toxic masculinity, which is a lot of comedy that's punching down, punching down at people who have been oppressed across generations. And yes, that's starting to fade out slowly but steadily as we live in a social media world and we live in a world where you can be held accountable for these types of things. And we ourselves think about how we've acted in the past when we see people like John Gruden take the fall and generally just the world gets more progressive as young people won't stand for this stuff anymore.
0: It so, does. Yeah. But one of the thing that kind of came to my mind, start of COVID, when we saw all those public freakout videos, and everyone was in a surge to get people fired is these people don't just go away, do they? You know, like we get them fired, we get them canceled. They still exist within our society. Like, how do we move forward? What is the proper way to... <sighs> reintegrate these people because you know do we just say like John Gruden walk away you're a racist you're a homophobe transphobic whatever you are go in that corner and we never hear from you again is that a proper way to progress as a society I think that these are larger
1: scale issues so like one of the ways to do it is in criminal conduct situations reforming our court system to create better accountability potentially like John Gruden ultimately his punishment is that he's no longer allowed to work in the NFL and in the grand scheme of things that's not a terrible punishment like he still gets to have a lot of money he still gets to have a lot of privilege and he still gets to go do something else with his connections and his resources just, there needs to be some level of accountability. I think this is what ch- has changed in a quote unquote cancel culture era is that we can hold people somewhat accountable. Now they're going to be growing pains around this. Some people are going to be punished too harshly and some people are going to be punished too leniently. There's going to be growing pains as we figure all this stuff out. But I think the thing I've adapted on this is just holding people to some level of accountability. And this happens on a much grander scale. When we talk, about the fact that bill cosby has his freedom right now or the fact that harvey weinstein was looking like he might be freed after everything that happened with him like these are larger scale issues that extend outside of sports and sports has versions of that as well that are you know when we talk about things that are more intense than saying a racial slur such as committing a hate crime or committing murder these are things that we just want some level of accountability and when there isn't a level of accountability in systems that we've set up to give us accountability Ability. All of a sudden we turn to like, well, maybe we can prevent you from making money or doing this job that you love. I mean, connected to Deshaun Watson and Trevor Bauer within sports, they're still making all their money. They're not going to prison at all. Their punishment is just they're not allowed to do this thing. They're not allowed to work is the only punishment we can hand down at this point is just for your conduct. The only thing we as a society can do is put pressure on you and shame you enough to make it so that you're not able to work for some extended period of time in terms of what is an appropriate level of time for John Gruden or an appropriate level of punishment for Deshaun Watson. I'm not the person to answer that question in this situation. I, I am a white straight man. I'm not the person who should be doling out the
0: punishments. On you mean this you're one. not the moral arbiter of the world, Kyle? No, I, I, thought I was mistaken. Be. I, God, when I brought you on the Slump Buster team, I thought that that was the guy that I was bringing on. No, I, you know. Listen, yeah, that that is a question that's much bigger and grander than us two on this podcast that maybe people are listening to, maybe people aren't. But I think it is a question that we do have to answer eventually as a society because it does seem like we get mad at these people for the day. And John Gruden, yes, you mentioned he has money, he has resources. It's not going to truly impact him in the same way that would impact someone who had one bad day, a Karen moment put on YouTube. They're just gone from society. You know, that, that mm-hmm. is one of the things that I'm just, I, I question as we move forward. That That's one of the things that I want to know the answers to as we progress. And the John Gruden have to be the one that, took the fall in this one be the fall guy for this situation yeah it just makes you think like if you've ever said something shitty if you ever said something reckless then maybe it it just kind of like time to reflect because this is kind of i'm not a huge faith-based guy but i should say this this is like one thing there's that old story about not casting the first stone unless you're clean I think that we have to answer those questions. Are we truly clean, you know, to be casting dispersions on the guy, like outside of the fact that he's already gone outside the NFL. That's my one thing.
1: It's a slippery slope. And from where I stand right now, I think John Gruden is going to work again. It might be years down the road. But I do think John Gruden, if he wants to, can work again. Now, might John Gruden decide, okay, I'm going to go do something else. I've got net worth of $70 million. I'm going to go be a philanthropist. I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. Maybe that's what John Gruden yeah. wants to do with the rest of his life. Like this
0: is it a just, question he'll have to ask himself. Going into the locker room, you know that that can't happen. Once you have those tags thrown on you, whatever those tags, those ist tags, they don't mm-hmm. come off, really. They, they really don't. The internet has a short memory, yes, but there's there's names from the past that we still think of in that kind of way. Like someone like a Chip Cowley, like even though his was very loose, there wasn't really much to stick to him as far as people were throwing out racial issues with him. That followed him around to this yeah. day. You know, people still mention about it every now and then.
1: Three examples around that right now, just real quick. So one is Art Briles who is not allowed to coach anymore. We've decided that Art Briles still has not served his punishment of sorts is that because of everything that happened at Baylor and a university that turned a blind eye to sexual assault across many years, Art Briles still is not allowed to be someone who is working with young people and in a position of power. Hugh Freeze, which is a less serious accusation. This is more of like a violating NCAA rules type of situation. It took him a couple of years but he was eventually allowed back in. And the third one is Rick Pettino. Rick Petino had a couple weird things in his past and NCAA violations and stuff. And then stripper gate happened and they basically told him, sorry, Rick, you got to go. he wanted to keep coaching basketball, that's where he draws his identity. And maybe that's where Rick Pitino stands at this point. And now he's going on the long rehabilitation tour to Greece and now coaching at IANA in upstate New York. Like people will compromise morals even to beat Idaho state in football. I think even if it's like a Division two school, someone will come through and give John Gruden a job because people who have done worse have also gotten these jobs. Now, was John Gruden's more public than most people? Yes, but I think that's just the nature of the job that John Gruden was working, being outside of Bill Belichick, I think the second highest paid coach in the NFL up to this point. So I think just the nature of that is going to let John Gruden back in at some point when that'll be again. I'm not the moral arbiter on this. Maybe he won't come back in and maybe John Gruden decides he doesn't want to coach again, but I think over time he will be forgiven and to your point point before about we need to sort this out in some kind of way to like find out what is fair and appropriate punishment for bringing people who are and putting this in air quotes canceled back into society I think it's just going to be more trial and error and hopefully the systems around that can set up an accountability measure so that we don't have to do so much public shaming of people who come from a previous generation or come from, again, lazy, racist, stereotypically homophobic, misogynistic. I
0: think part of me trying to be the devil's advocate here is I think it is too easy to be in the pile on culture. Yes, we run a meme page too. You know, I should say that. So we pile on occasionally and it would be easy for myself. It would be a lot easier for myself to be on the pile on crowd here, you know? So
1: one of the things I talked about on Take It Easy on Tuesday was the other story that was going on in the meme world simultaneously, which is jokes about Jackson Mahomes and Brittany Mahomes on the internet. And I look at that and I'm like, these are just lazy stereotypes that you're doing right now. You're basically just telling someone with a famous Husband and she is not famous. Shut up, you are a woman, and you're You're very gold
0: digger. Yeah, I've seen all that stuff before and then
1: for Jackson Mahomes' TikToks, people are being antagonistic towards LGBTQ plus people, even though Jackson Mahomes is not gay, he's just doing TikTok dances and has a somewhat high-pitched voice. And so people are being antagonistic because I mean, this is again like this is the stereotype. Like, I'm just saying people basically are being lazy. And saying lol that's gay I don't like that stop doing that and it's just lazy stereotypes that unfortunately larger meme pages with more clout than even you and I are making the same jokes and it makes me disappointed to see it because I was doing some of the stuff with Juju Smith Schuster last year and like playing into it because it was easy content I feel like disappointed that I Made those jokes. I realize now that those jokes are kind of playing into bad stereotypes, and I don't partake in those anymore. The Gruden joke I made is making fun of Dan Snyder because that's punching up instead of punching down. It's better to make jokes that way than it is to to play into the piling on of John Gruden or Carl Nazib or making jokes about women, kind of thing, like what people would call edgy memes, which is. Again, we're doing football content here. You don't need to be edgy in terms of making fun of women, LGBTQ plus people or non-white people.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned kind of like the LOL oh, oh, that's gay. I think that's again kind of like goes into how language has continued to evolve. The fact that saying LOL oh, oh, that's gay like um, 10 years ago or when I was growing up, certainly like was not really that much of a thing. It was like for you to say, ah, oh, that's dumb, that's stupid, that's whatever. But now, obviously, we kind of know that it has a different meaning and you know, it does kind of offend people. So now I've curved that behavior. And if you're like someone randomly posting on Twitter, you have to think about stuff like that. You have to know Mm -hmm. that like, if you're maybe going for a job hire, you know, we're talking about this for a guy that's making a hundred million dollars a year, but for you, you have to monitoring of kind of stuff you say openly and publicly, you have to- Adapt as well with the times, and I, I think that's one of the things that we could probably take away from this situation. Is kind of like learning behavior. Even, I was just gonna say, even when I was in middle
1: school and high school, like people would say that all the time. But I, I think back then we just didn't really care. We kind of knew if we were talking to someone who we knew was gay, we weren't gonna make gay jokes. When we were talking to someone who was a girl, we're not gonna make misogynistic jokes. But then when you have people from similar backgrounds all together, that's when all of a sudden real character comes out because. People feel like you can say it without having any repercussions for it. And that's where toxic masculinity and everything that we've been talking about kind of festers out. I think it still exists today. I think it's just the best way to do it is to bring people from different backgrounds together, to have not just one gay friend, but multiple gay friends and having multiple friends that are not the same race Gender, sexual orientation, as yourself. That's actually the best way I've learned how to not be in these situations or find myself seeing someone be antagonistic and realizing there aren't repercussions for it. And then just be an ally for those people. It's important that people in the majority voice the minority opinion because that's how society is going to get better in the long run.
0: (laughs) All right. So I think we've talked in and out of that situation as much as we possibly can now I guess we actually got to talk about the game
1: <laughs> so I have the Broncos this week and don't no, uh,
0: reason... <laughs>
1: And yeah and the reason I'm rolling with the Broncos this week is uh, yes they've lost a lot of people uh, to injuries so far this year but boy that offense might start rolling Teddy Bridgewater semi-healthy by the way fun fact Teddy Bridgewater has a higher yards per completion this year than Justin Herbert when we think of Teddy Bridgewater as the ultimate game manager so far. So uh, I like the Broncos to score enough points against the Raiders. Uh, I believe they're slight favorites against Las Vegas coming into this game. I don't know if you have the line Three and a half. or not. And uh, we're picking straight up. So I will take the uh, the Denver Broncos to win this week against the Raiders.
0: Okay, I will also be taking the Broncos because just <laughs> simply put, let's face it, you have a special teams coach who is now the Raiders head coach. They've gone through a lot this week. It's gonna be hard to kind of bounce back. On the Broncos side of things though, I bet they wish Vic Fangio and Pat Shermer had some offensive emails that could be leaked out into the public because I know Broncos fans are really upset about kind of like how the play (laughs) calling has been this year. Uh, The Broncos have been the worst team on third down conversions, worst in the red zone. You mentioned Teddy Bridgewater's yards per attempt. However, their ability to score when it matters. Yeah, you can put up yards all day, but you got to score. Now the Raiders, I mean, yeah, they have talent, but Derek Carr's also struggled inside mile high, which I think is another factor to consider in this one. It's just a lot of stuff going on this week for the Raiders it's hard for me to like see them responding in a way and yeah that would be three straight losses for them that would be it feels like a nail in the coffin to their season from this point forward because John Gruden was one of the league's better offensive play callers according to PFF. Mm -hmm. so you look at that you you lose your offensive coordinator basically I don't know how much Responsibility Greg Olson really had. It's always hard to figure out what the Raiders hierarchy really is, whether that's Gruden versus Mayock in player evaluation, whether that's Gruden versus Olson in terms of play calling. But I'm actually surprised that they decided not to elevate the defensive coordinator. I don't know why the name's escaping me right now. It's probably just uh, is it Gus a...
1: Bradley. Is that who you think?
0: Yes. It, it, I'm surprised they didn't elevate Gus Bradley as someone who's been in the league for years on years on years. Would it but... be
1: Gus Bradley's nine and 27 record as head coach of the Jaguars?
0: Possibly. That, I guess that could be it. But I, right now I, I think the special teams coach has a record of zero and zero. So I guess in theory, it's better than Gus Bradley's record, but yeah. um, at least, someone who's been in that head coaching role. I I don't know. Either way, the game is secondary in this one. We all know it. We're both on the Broncos. <laughs> is there any other analysis? Is there anything else we could throw in here, Kyle, before I move on?
1: I do think the Raiders have the better roster than the Broncos. They I'm not going to pretend like it's not. Like I, I do think the Raiders have a very good roster going into this game. Last week, I nailed the Kyle Pitts prediction, but maybe this is the week that Henry Ruggs has 150 yards and three touchdowns for the Raiders. Who knows? Could be his final breakout week for Las Vegas with an offense that no longer run by John
0: Gruden this one will be one that we could really dive into here uh Cardinals Browns the Browns at home the last time these two faced was a really good game I remember Kyler Murray versus Baker Mayfield two former Oklahoma Sooners quarterbacks two former Heisman winners a lot of storylines heading into this game two former number one overall picks in back-to-back years great storylines across the board here the Cardinals still undefeated at this time the Browns Lost a crazy thriller, heartbreaker against the Chargers. I mean, I thought the Browns should have came down with that Hail Mary at the end, honestly. I know Drew was a little bit salty on this one. A little bit of insight here from our own Ohio-based Expert Drew Hagenbaugh. Apparently the Browns were dealing with a lot of injuries during that game on their defense. Miles Garrett was a little bit banged up. Denzel Ward was a little bit banged up. So that might be some stuff to monitor as we head into this one. And certainly defensive injuries are not stuff you want to hear exactly whenever you face the Cardinals. Now, as a Niners fan, watching the niners Cardinals games from the past weekend, one thing I noticed was Kyler Murray had some sort of bicep injury almost because they were massaging him. They were trying to like coax him. He did look like obviously discomforted on the sideline and that's not nothing because whenever you look at what happened to Kyler Murray last year where he was honestly one of the league's worst quarterbacks a bottom half quarterback following the shoulder injury that injury played a lot into his season is this going to be another moment in which he has an injury that starts to derail his potential MVP campaign I'm going to Browns I I think that this is an opportunity for them to bounce back their defense if they are in fact healthy I think can do a great job of containing Kyler Murray in similar ways to how the 49ers were able to contain Kyler Murray and their offense and running game is going to be good enough to really kind of show the holes within that Cardinals defense. Yes, the Cardinals defense has been good this year, and they have been really good about game takeaways, but as long as they're safe and conservative with the ball, I think Kevin Stefanski could develop a good game plan for the Browns to win this weekend at home.
1: Adding to the list of injuries that you mentioned before, Jadavian Clowney has already been ruled out for Sunday's game against the Arizona Cardinals for the Browns. You mentioned the last time the Browns played the Cardinals, I believe that was 2019 because I remember Kenyon Drake had four touchdowns in that game. This was right after he got traded from the Dolphins to the Cardinals. And I'm still convinced to this day that the Cardinals gave Kenyon Drake $11 million just for that one game. Just because he scored four touchdowns against the Browns, they gave him $11 million last year. And he didn't fit into the offense. He was just kind of a quagmire in 2020, but they gave him all that money from one game against the Browns and Freddie Kitchens defense. So going into this game, I really like the Cardinals. Not just because they're undefeated and not just because I host the red rain podcast with Walter Mitchell over on SB nation, which you can check out with uh, the take it easy podcast link. I am taking the Arizona Cardinals this week, even with Kyler Murray's bicep injury. I do think they'll be able to move the ball against the Cleveland Browns. The running game is concerning for Arizona because... Cleveland is very good at stopping the run and Chase Edmonds has been battling injuries for Arizona so I think a lot of their success is going to be in the passing game we think of Kyler Murray as this like running quarterback as well and Kyler Murray has pretty much deferred from running the football for the most part this year I believe right now he's like 13th in rushing yards in the NFL so I think this is going to be a pass heavy game I think they might go for 400 yards passing in this game Arizona this is going to be one of those games where I think Arizona is going to score a lot, but Kyler Murray's offensive line. I believe if I remember correctly, is ranked third, according to pro football focus right now, which is weird because like we we've never thought of the Cardinals having a great offensive line. Walter over on red rain says this is the best offensive line he has seen in 25 years of watching Cardinals football. And Rodney Hudson was a huge acquisition for them. They're hoping to get Justin Pugh back. Justin Murray battled injuries, but I think he played against the 49ers. So that should be okay for Arizona. And even if the offensive line breaks down or even if you have third round pick Josh Jones blocking Miles Garrett, Kyler Murray can buy time in the pocket. Kyler Murray can run around the backfield and buy enough time and roll to his left and hit Rondale Moore on perfect 50 yard strikes within like a seven inch window because Kyler Murray is really good at football and bicep injury permitting. Kyler Murray is really good at football so for the first time we will go against each other and I have the Arizona Cardinals to continue their run for the third consecutive week
0: as the only undefeated team left in professional football I'm going with Browns you're going with the Cardinals actually that is the second time we're disagreeing in this podcast I actually went with the Jags as you recall
1: Oh, that's right. I I know I got lost
0: in talking about the racist, transphobic, homophobe that was John Gruden. But yes, we did in fact disagree on the Jaguars and Dolphins. The most important thing about this podcast. (laughs) Of course, Uh, I
1: forgot about that way back in the beginning. I just assumed that no one would be so dumb as to pick the team that's lost 20 consecutive football games. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Are you out here calling me dumb here? I Man. mean, I just, out here call me dumb Morris. Like what the hell, Kyle? Come on. <laughs> uh, what can I say? You know, me, I'm just such a hateful person, you know?
0: <laughs> well, you know what? I was so close on that Cincinnati game. You got to give me that one.
1: I yeah. thought you had it. No, I thought you won <laughs> that one. I thought I was going to, cause I've already been branded a Bengals hater now. So I guess I just have to play into that a little. I think they, Evan they McPherson,
0: play? you know, celebrating That's That's what really like brought that one. <laughs> That was oh, a great me. one. That was a fantastic,
1: fantastic finish. Just the missed field goal after missed field goal after missed field goal. And then for the Packers to walk away with the win was great. By the way, what are the standings now in the pick'em pool?
0: Um, well, right now you would jump ahead a game on me because we've split every single week except week one where I finished nine and seven you finished eight and eight so you elevate the three wins there you got from this past week and then of course I picked up one on the bills so you are ahead of me by one game all right then I will take it then uh, well, let's get into another highly contested shootout-type game. Really has some big-time AFC implications here. The Chargers are going into Baltimore, a battle of 4-1 teams. The Ravens at the moment are a three-point favorite. The Chargers, like I mentioned, they had a crazy one against the Browns in SoFi. Back and forth, I think it was 47-42. Lots of points to the board. Justin Herbert had his best game of the season. Four touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. Absolute stud, again, giving Miami Dolphins fans nightmares for years to come. The Ravens, on the other hand, Monday night football, they were down big against the Colts, but Lamar Jackson had uh, his most impressive day of the year with 440 passing yards, an insane completion percentage, four touchdowns. I believe he chipped in 62 rushing yards on the ground, just an all world performance. So you have two quarterbacks who are coming into this game extremely hot or coming off their hottest performance yet. And I have been so discombobulated as far as picking Chargers games. I think I've been wrong about them, pretty much as wrong as you've been on Seahawks games this year. So i I'm very concerned about where I go with this one. Kyle, can you go first on this? I I just need to know where I'm going. I got to think about this one a little.
1: I can go first on this one. And I am, uh, I'm interested to see if this is a ploy to pick against me in this one, but I like the Baltimore Ravens to win this. Chargers,
0: you got my evil strategy.
1: Yes. I called your bluff on that one. So uh, I actually had both helmets here just in case I didn't, I didn't make this one as like a strategic pick beforehand, but I was going to pick the Baltimore Ravens through and through because not only did Lamar Jackson when it his team was down 22 to three against the Colts have 360 passing yards and four touchdowns in the second half and overtime. He did it completing 91% of his passes. 91% It's unbelievable how great Lamar Jackson played in that game. You mentioned this is going to be a a huge offensive firepower type of game, but both teams have very good defenses. I will give the credit where credit is due. The Chargers have drafted surprisingly very well in the draft, and I say surprisingly just because of the torment I've had around the Chargers for 20 years, but the Chargers have done very well for themselves in the second and third days of the draft as of recently. Nasir Adderley, great pickup for them, Uh, Asante Samuel Jr., Looks fantastic on the defensive side of the ball. They used a bunch of picks to move up and get Kenneth Murray in 2020. He looks to be a very good inside linebacker for the Chargers. They have built out a solid defense around, obviously, a top-five offense led by a franchise quarterback for the next 15 years that we talked about the Dolphins earlier with Tua. Every single game haunts Dolphins fans more and more, even though they knew they were going to take Tua all the way through and through. Just watching Justin Herbert is such a gift. It's unbelievable. The Chargers scored 26 points in the fourth quarter against the Cleveland Browns. That's unbelievable. Those two teams produced the two best games of the weekend. I'm so glad that they're playing each other. It's the rare game where both teams are set up for a letdown, but they're playing each other in the same week. Does that mean that the letdowns will cancel each other out? Or are we going to have one of these like 1710 slugfests like we had between the 49ers and the Cardinals last weekend? I don't know, but I'm excited to figure it out. So I will take the Baltimore Ravens because as great as the Chargers defense is, it's going to be very hard to contain Lamar Jackson because he can beat you in so many different ways. And I feel like I will throw out a score prediction. I don't do this very often, but I will say Baltimore 31, Los Angeles 24. That is my pick.
0: I think I am going to stick with the Chargers. I was kind of like, maybe I should grenade and go back to the Baltimore Ravens. But no, I, I think I will stick with the Chargers now, normally the thing I've said about them the last couple of weeks, and it did hold true against the Cleveland Browns because Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb both had great days. Their run defense hasn't been able to stop anyone this year, haven't, hasn't been able to stop a nosebleed. Uh, so going against a team with a great running scheme like the Baltimore Ravens, you think would cause some issues for them. But then I remember that the Ravens aren't exactly throwing out premier running backs at this point. They're throwing out Devontae Freeman, Latavius Murray. The 2015 Tyson Williams is out there. I love it, yes. I think their best running attack is Lamar Jackson. Now, with that said, the personnel grouping, even though I know the coaching staff has changed a lot in Baltimore, I think the personnel for the Chargers has always been one that's lined up very well against Lamar in the past. And I think when you have guys like Joey Bosa, who could give problems off the edge, put a lot of pressure on Lamar, I, I think the Chargers defense in this instance will have one of their best days. And I think this could actually be a low scoring game. I think if we're, I'm going to match you. I'm going to say a score prediction here. I'm going to say Chargers 24. Ravens 21. I think it's going to be a little bit on the lower side. I don't think either team's going to escape the 20s. I might be dangerously wrong on that one, but you know, that's why we're here. We're here to be made the fools sometimes. It looks
1: like we both feel the same way about the Ravens defense, considering that the Chargers scored 24 points in both of our predictions. So we feel about the same there.
0: That is true. I think the Ravens defense, I don't know truly what to make of them. They have been beat several times this year, have looked bad several times this year, but. They've maintained they're one of those bend don't break kind of defenses more than anything. It's going to be a lower scoring game than people are thinking, especially t- you mentioned two teams coming off a hot one. I think another advantage that potentially could work in advantage for the chargers here, you know, we're moving later in the season. So these morning start time games become less of an issue. And also, you know, the Ravens are coming off a short week too. So uh, playing on Monday night coming off a short week. So there's a couple factors there and I- I'll give Justin Herbert the benefit of the doubt that, kids just amazing I mean Lamar's amazing too this is a good one this is uh, this is one I'm glad that we have on our pick and pull and I, I could be wrong here and be satisfied walking away with it because I think that we'll still have a good game nonetheless okay so we get to talk about some NFC North rivals right now the teams that headlined the NFL 100 game a couple of years ago I know what you're thinking coming to this game come on we're talking about the Bears The (laughs) Bears, we had to. I mean, they're three and two right now. The Packers are four and one. So, in theory, this is a matchup for the division, potentially. You know, this is one (laughs) if the Bears were able to get the upset here. And the Packers have played in a lot of close games. So I'm not going to completely rule out the Bears here. I know everyone's rolls their eyes when they think about Matt Nagy, but the funny part about it is if you know the season end of the day, the Bears are in a position which they might be in a playoff picture again. And (laughs) if that happens damn, how do you fire Matt Nagy, the coach that goes to the playoffs every year? It's kind of like a Bill O'Brien situation at that point. Now, I didn't really watch much of the Raiders-Bears game, to be honest, and it's weird because I felt like it never really came up on my red zone channel either, but yet, yet you look at the scoreboard, you look it up, and the Bears are just dominating the Raiders. So I'm asking myself, how are they scoring all these points? What did they exactly do that beat the Raiders? I think they had barely threw for over 100 passing yards or something like in that game example. It reminds me of that game
1: last year where Cam Newton had like 68 passing yards and scored 45 points.
0: Yeah, like you, so every now and then you just had those aberration of performances. Uh, now I know Aaron Rodgers obviously in these games against the Bears just has been responsible for so much heartbreak in the city of Chicago. He just comes up with something late. The Bears deep Defense is playing well and just Devontae Adams now I think some stuff that the Bears could do well I think they might be able to take Devontae away because the Packers don't really have a great second option right now ever since MVS went on the IR Alan Lazard has been asked to step up and he hasn't stepped up at all for them Robert Tanyan has just been gone this year you know his season last year the 10 plus receptions for touchdowns if you're a fantasy owner you're cursing the name Robert Tanyan. But no, <laughs> the second I, option has been randall cobb this year for people there you who go wondering. randall cobb you know just i saw a meme earlier this year that aaron Rodgers asking for randall cobb to be on this team is similar to adam sandler asking for rob schneider to be in all his movies and that that is pretty appropriate comp there for me because randall cobb you know his career is so so you know decent slot receiver you know didn't really have great success in dallas houston it was back Got to paid Packers. a lot of money. You know, he got paid, paid a lot of money, comes back to the Packers and he will have a good couple games here and there, but I don't think you look at him like a true great second option right now. I think the best second option in the passing game might be like Aaron Jones, realistically for the Packers. And for that matter, obviously I'm picking the Packers to win this game. I think they just have a more dynamic offense that they can just make one or two big plays throughout the game. That's going to give them the edge there. But the Bears are a team that we should know because, you know, again, they're, they're right in the thicket. Despite as much as we've kind of rolled our eyes at them, rolled our eyes at Justin Fields, Matt Nagy, how this team is put together. They're right there at three and two and hell, I don't know what to do with them in my power rankings. I had them at 21, but I had a three and two team at 21 kind of feels a little weird, right?
1: Yeah, the Bears are a weird three and two team so far this year, which is funny because last year they were kind of the same boat. Where on paper they're like a five and eleven or six and eleven team this year, cause things are different now. But I would say they might win a couple games that maybe they shouldn't and that'll help them out. And they got two against the well, I guess they beat the Lions. So that one kinda helps make you three and two when you get to play Detroit at
0: home. That's that's one that you should normally beat the win. Bengals, beat the Raiders, who we thought were good teams at the time.
1: Yeah, that that is totally fair. What's interesting is that they haven't been generating a ton on offense this year. And that's not surprising. Like we all know the Bears offense isn't very good, but they don't have David Montgomery anymore. And one of the keys that helped them get to the playoffs in December last year was, yes, there are shortcomings with Trubisky. Trubisky's like a fringe starter. He might be the best backup in the NFL now, but you can mask those shortcomings with a strong run game. And if I remember correctly, I believe David Montgomery had like 700 rushing. Yards in the last five games last year. He was one of the best running backs in the NFL. And he came into this year and he played really well. Well, I guess just the Bengals victory. They didn't win the other one, but they he played very well in their first two games. And the fact that he's gone now makes me concerned that Damian Williams, although Damian Williams had a pretty good game against the the Raiders last week, if I remember correctly, I think the Raiders outgained the Bears on offense and still lost by like 14 points. But even still. Will they be able to replicate a run game? Because if you take away the run game, either Justin Fields is going to have to perform like one of these weird, like 300 plus yard games as a quarterback and maybe rediscover Allen Robinson, who has basically just disappeared from the face of the earth at this point. Or I guess the alternative is just the Bears win one of these like 10 to seven slog fests where their defense like takes away the, t- the ball from Aaron Rodgers like three times in one of those weird Aaron Rodgers type games. So I'm going to roll with the Packers as well. I don't think this one is particularly going to be close. I think this one might be like one of those 21-3 games at halftime that the red zone stops paying attention to once we get to the second half. But maybe the Bears will like storm back for a backdoor cover once they actually open up the offense uh, with whoever's calling plays. Now, I don't know if it's Nagy or Bill Lazor or whatever the Bears are doing at this point, but uh, I will take the Packers to win this game because there's no way that the Bears are going to be four and two and beat the Green Maple. Packers here this week
0: how would you grade Aaron Rodgers season so far because Drew and I were kind of talking about this one he's quarterback 15 on the year currently in fantasy he hasn't really lived up to his MVP season last year put a letter grade on Aaron Rodgers in 2021 I will say B plus because Last year was a weird
1: kind of fluky year for Aaron Rodgers where everything felt like it was clicking every single week. And we've seen, we've seen that Aaron Rodgers this year in, they showed the splits on the broadcast of the uh, game against the Bengals. He started the game four for nine, 44 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. And then after that, Aaron Rodgers went 21 for 23, 239 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's basically like a perfect quarterback rating for people keeping track. At home, that's near perfect 151.7 or whatever the perfect QBR number is. So, we've seen the glimpses of that Aaron Rodgers, but he hasn't put it together across a whole season like he did last year, or even like across two straight months or four or five straight games. Will that happen later in the season? I would guess not, but the only reason that's the case is all of the stuff that we kind of know about Aaron Rodgers, where his heart really isn't in it, and he's just 38 years old. Like, it's really hard to be really good at 38 years Uh old.
0: Tom Brady is listening in the distance as he throws five touchdowns on the Miami Dolphins this past weekend. (laughs) But
1: for every Tom Brady, there's also Matt Ryan, who's slowly breaking down in front of our eyes, and every Philip Rivers, yep, Big Ben, like Mm -hmm. there there are all kinds of examples like
0: that. Who's like in his early 30s?
1: Yeah, no, people forget that first year in the Lafleur offense, Aaron Rodgers was basically a game manager, and the Packers were the best when Aaron Rodgers was a game manager. And unfortunately, that broke down when they played a really good defense because the system wasn't actually that good. It's just the system had players that were better than everyone else's players. And I think to an extent, that's still the case. But Aaron Rodgers has done more of that game managing type stuff, whether that's because regular season games don't matter to the Packers this season. that The the only thing that matters is those three games in January and maybe February for the Packers because they've proven that they're a really good team. We know they're a really good team. No one's really gonna contend with them in that division. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe Rodgers' heart isn't in it all the way. I just don't know the reason reasoning behind that but it's not like he's been terrible he had the terrible game against the Saints yes but it's not like he's been terrible this season we've seen MVP Rodgers in the second half against the Lions in the second and third quarters against the Bengals like we've seen MVP Rodgers show up just not the way it was last year if you got him on your fantasy football team I'm sure you're very disappointed by how this has gone but I would say B plus for Aaron Rodgers
0: this year Okay. Well, that wraps it up. We both got the Packers. We're both on the Broncos. We're splitting on the Ravens and Charters. We're splitting on the Browns and Cardinals, and we're splitting on the Jags and Dolphins. Upset pick. Let's get it. Come on, Jack. Yes. Do your vote.
1: Ah, But then I'm on the other side where you have the Miami Dolphins, the greatest football team, and they run the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one.
0: That's going to be a clip. That's going to be a clip. That's going to go on the Instagram.
1: (laughs) You can play the T-Pain remix too over it because T-Pain did indeed make a remix of that Miami Dolphins song in 2008. And they haven't won a playoff game since then.
0: Oof. Big oof. Don't give me any editing ideas there. All right, guys, (laughs) you know what to do you gotta hit that subscribe button guys we're closing in on 2000 subscribers had a big month thank you to all the viewers thank you to all the new subscribers we really appreciate you leave a like on this video if you're watching this on youtube leave a five-star review on this if you're listening to this on itunes check us out at slumpbuster podcast on ig at on twitter and check out our partner cavemancoffeco.com yes cavemancoffeco.com come on don't be a chump use promo code Slump at cavemancoffeco.com From Juju Talks Wars, from Kyle Ledbetter, stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time.